From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Exposing the deep state and government overreach. You're with Pella Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk, TNT. Yes, hello again. Uh, just to uh, give your uh, little mission statement here, which I sincerely believe in. Um, I've been to workplaces and many of my friends working in the mainstream media in London uh, say I'm incredibly fortunate. There, there are no, what you're hearing from me is the absolute best attempt at the truth. There are no Rupert Murdoch's breathing down my neck and tearing off an editor's strips off the editor after saying the wrong thing. There's no Dean notice from uh, anonymous civil servants in Whitehall saying that you're transgressing the government line on uh, foreign conflicts. What you get is the an absolute best best effort analysis of what's going on in the world um, using, uh, although we are not based in the US, we're using the spirit of the best achievement of the US Constitution in my mind, which is the First Amendment on free speech. Uh, that is not at all true for much of Europe, where we have uh, much more restrictive uh, laws on freedom of expression. But here we're using the First Amendment principle. And secondly, so we're trying to tell the truth. Secondly, we're also trying to bring in um, a, a an accurate analysis of European and world affairs, what's really going on, the forces behind the scenes, to an American and global public, because what we're seeing here is an absolutely decisive year. I have a great trust in the wisdom of the world's uh, voters, vote people, but I think they're grievously misled by what's what they get in the mainstream media and from politicians. Um, and so they have to find their information from somewhere, accurate information. I mean, We've got elections in the US, of course. We've got elections in the UK. We've got elections in South Africa. We've got elections in Europe. Uh, we've got elections in Russia, don't laugh, uh, and maybe some other places. So this is a decisive year that could affect the outcomes in the next four or five years quite decisively. And people do need accurate information. Now, what I've talked about in the last few weeks is with different speakers and analysts about how the world is constructed. Uh, some people think that we're, we're sort of already run by this kind of transnational elite who use the United Nations and the World Health Organization and tech entrepreneurs all getting together, perhaps with China and, and American deep state elites, trying to design and control our lives through vaccine uh, mandates, through digital currencies, through omnipresent surveillance, through faked up hyped up climate scams, all designed to turn us into robots and droids uh, following our master's instructions. That's one possibility. It's not the only possibility. I tend to be more of a traditionalist in the sense, sense I believe in, in great powers, uh, governments jostling for influence in this world. And of course, the one that the, the traditional left will often say is that, that we're living in, in Europe, at least uh, in the period of American empire, a flailing American empire, which to counteract the, um, the, the German and European um, benefit of getting cheap Russian gas and cheap Chinese manufacturing products and selling manufacturing products back to China and doing quite well economically, set out to destroy the European model and European growing independence by sabotaging the Nord Stream pipeline, which is the cheap gas that used to come from Russia to, to Germany, poisoning relationships with China, <clears throat> inserting and supporting uh, the, the most sort of, uh, you know, fascist or whatever Nazi element of the uh, revanchists who, who have sort of bones to pick with 
They're former Russian masters uh, all around the Russian periphery in the Baltic states, Poland and Ukraine. And they're, they're sort of dividing this or splitting this connection between Germany and Russia, which has actually been a, a several hundred year old thing that the British tried to do because they were afraid of German know-how combined with German Russian resources. That's a left-wing analysis. A third analysis, I would say, is something like it's very current in London today, and you hear it from conservative politicians. And that's the old Churchillian analysis, the old Churchillian story of autocracy sees versus democracies. We've got to do something because otherwise there's going to be a new Hitler and we've got to take out this new Hitler before he comes too powerful. We must avoid another Munich. Um, we've got to, we've got to, the world is clearly divided into black and white. And uh, what these British politicians can rely on is, of course, you know, a Hollywood and historical narrative using British soft power that is well entrenched in most of Europe and America, which is that uh, most of the 20th century, in fact, you know, we've got to, if we don't stop dictators now, there will be another Holocaust and uh, destruction of Europe. So we've got, we've got a preemptive and we've got to stand firm. And all that kind of rhetoric is coming out of London at the moment. I'm not saying I believed, I'm just saying that's a third possibility of the way the world's constructed, a binary world of democracies versus autocracies. And we are the democracies and we are the good guys. A final solution to the way the world is constructed is sort of a moderation of that, which is that actually um, we are living in a world where all powers are kind of bad guys or good guys, or call it whatever you like. We're all striving for power. We're all players in, in the international arena. And although we might have different political systems, some might be better than others, uh, as, as great powers as it were, we're all on the same level. And we've got to find some way of managing competition. We don't have to be friends necessarily without it spilling out into to world war. And I think the model for that uh, um, situation today is actually the, the, the war period before 1914, where you had imperial powers all with national egos strutting about and no one was particularly bad and no one was particularly good and we failed to, to avoid a first world war which was cataclysmic for europe it killed whole generations of young men who died in the trenches for for no real good i mean it wasn't to even if you believe in the sort of the wicked hitler narrative concept that did not apply to the first world war i mean uh Imperial Germany was much admired in, in America before 1914, although it tends to be a little bit forgotten. Um, and um, when when World War One broke out, I mean, of course, there were many, many German Americans and many Irish Americans who had their own reasons to dislike the British Empire. And I think I can't remember, but I mean, they, they, I, I don't think there was ever a risk of German becoming uh, the language of America. But I mean, that so much German immigration had come in in the 1890s or 1880s that uh, America had quite a, parts of America had quite a German character and they didn't want to fight for, for the British empire against Germany at all. So, uh, and I, uh, these things tend to be memory hold in the narrative of uh, uh, special relationship, the Anglo-Americans standing tall as democracies fighting evil all around the world. But of course, America and Britain often, have often been at loggerheads in their history. And um, so, and, and, and the whole American university system was based on German models. So when um, the PhD system and so on, <clears throat> and I was read, I've been reading a lot of books about how how Germany, Imperial Germany, was perceived in the nineteenth um, uh, century by Americans, and it was perceived very well. So this quite good country was fighting another quite good country, Britain. So we must avoid that happening again.
that's and I actually think that the the UN is a possible arena for managed political competition as long as we do not allow the UN to become uh, more powerful. We don't want it to turn into a world government. God no, I hate that idea that, that skeptics talk about rightly. And in fact, we're seeing this we're seeing this kind of super supranational power becoming very powerful in the European Union. And I'm going to be talking to my news producer, Basil Valentine, about what the uh, EU is doing to Hungary. So this is the headlines with Basil Valentine. Talk that matters. For once, we just need to do what's best for the same country and not what's best for the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. So what's the humanitarian situation now in, in northern Ga- in Gaza absolutely generally? Des- absolutely desperate. Absolutely hellish. Mm. People are starving. There's no medicine. Uh, the hospitals are all destroyed. It's, you know, 60% of the buildings are destroyed. It's, you know, catastrophic. So. Mm. The, um, beyond words. These airdrops, I mean, would they, who, who's doing it? And would they get by is, the Israelis? I mean, wouldn't the Israelis shoot them down? Uh well, that's a very good question. Um, the Netherlands have said that they will airdrop humanitarian aid in Gaza if the opportunity arises. This was the Dutch cabinet announcing on Friday that it's considering using the military to airdrop humanitarian aid to the Gaza Strip. Further to that, former Turkish Prime Minister Ahmed Davutoglu has called for countries who use Palestine in their national propaganda and claim to be its defenders and he named Egypt and Saudi Arabia and his own country, Turkey, among them, to form a coalition of the willing, a term we've wow. heard with reference to NATO adventures in the past. Indeed. And carry out a humanitarian airdrop, drawing references to the 1948 Berlin airlift. Um, one of the journalists that we feature on the Patrick Henningsen show, Leila Hatoumi, and a well-known British activist, Sarah Wilkinson, have been in Jordan over the last few days, meeting ministers and officials and trying to get the Jordanians on side for this. I mean, strictly speaking, according to the ICJ ruling, there's no reason why it should not happen. And there's no reason why the Israelis should stop it happening. Doubtless the Israelis would claim that they would want to inspect any aid packages to ensure that no weapons are being dropped into Gaza. That would be that, you know, that would probably be their sticking point, as it were. But at the moment, people are starving. The situation is absolutely desperate and it would be a very effective way of getting aid to people. Um, In the article you sent me before the show, they uh, they mentioned that the Jordanians had already done some airdrops. Do you know anything about that? I can't say that I do. No, I don't think I can say, though, that it hasn't been a significant amount. No. Um, you know, we, we, we're talking about huge amounts of food. 700,000 people are still trapped in northern Gaza, where two thirds yeah. of the buildings have been destroyed, critical infrastructure, there's no fresh mm. water to drink, etc., etc. So uh, if the Jordanians have done anything so far, it's a drop in the ocean. So, I mean, what we're seeing, what you're suggesting is there could be a collaboration between the Dutch and the Jordanians uh, in a very sort of eye-catching uh, manner to, to, uh, that harkens back to our history in which a lot of people have a, have a, mem- uh, a sort of received memory of it anyway. Um, what's, yes. Yeah. Um, I wasn't alive for the Berlin airlift, believe it or not. It was a few years <laughs> before my time. Yeah. Um, 
But there is a sort of cadre of Western and European nations who are breaking ranks from the defunding of the United Nations Relief and Works Agency. Uh, disgraceful that the UK and the US have pulled their funding on the basis of unfounded allegations from the one agency that is keeping hundreds of thousands of people alive. But uh, Spain, Ireland, um, Scotland, Belgium, Norway, and another of other European countries have not gone along with that. Uh, and they're I, continuing. Go on. Weren't the Dutch quite hawkish? I mean, and, and um, didn't they join yes. this um, patrol? So they're stepping away from um, their very, very loyal uh, adherence to the Anglo powers. Yeah. Well, the Dutch uh, sort of give with one hand and take away with the other. I think they were sort of hawkish on the military stance. But at the same time, throughout this conflict, there has been this lip service to providing for the humanitarian needs of the Palestinian people. We've heard it from Tony Blinken. We've heard mm. it from uh, Sunak, from all the Western talking heads. But mm. actions speak louder than words. And their actions are that they've defunded the one agency supporting them. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Uh, as a way of uh, taking away the attention from what's happening in the next few weeks in, at the UN in New York, it's a kind of showdown over Israel, I think, isn't it? Um, well, yes, so, Israel well, we, is supposed yeah. to produce a report over the next month as to mm. how it is implementing the ICJ rulings. Well, it isn't implementing them at all. Uh, you know, the bombings and massacres continue on a daily basis. Uh, the other thing that's come to light uh, in the last 24 hours is a mass grave of uh, 30 Palestinians with their uh, wrists cable tied behind their backs and dumped in a mass grave by a bulldozer, they appear to have been summarily executed in what would wow. obviously be a war crime. So, mm. Very, well, shocking stuff. And we'll talk more about stuff. that perhaps every day. I mean, see the latest development. Yes. Can we just... Well, absolutely, to... it's, it's not going away, and hundreds of thousands of people are at risk of starvation, so we can't ignore, you know, right on Europe's borders, so we can't ignore that. What is happening? We said Orban uh, was uh, surrendered. Let's do that quickly for a minute or two. Um, yes. And tell us the background uh, of, about it. Who is Charles Michel, first of all, Pelle? Uh Well, he's the head of the um, European Council, isn't he? I mean, he's... Yeah, like no, but, uh, sorry, I, I, I involved you a bouncer there. Um, right. Because, you know, people don't generally know who these EU no, officials are. I'm pleased no, to say that you are well informed. Um, huh. uh, he is indeed the president of the European Council. And the European Council, if you could quickly remind me, what relationship does that bear to the Commission? Well, it's the it's it's the 28 leaders of the European Union, and they're really in the driver's right. seat. They, they make all the foreign policy decisions. And the Commission is the sort of the, the administrative executive power which has most of the profile, but the council is still got most of the most of the power. And okay. uh, Michel is kind of a spokesman who brings them all together. So he's, but he, he's, he, he's isn't, voice. he isn't at, he isn't at the moment the elective representative of any one of those. No, none of these people are. Said, and, and I, right. I, I used to be quite pro-European and now I'm not. And I think what, what this Orban incident shows is it's, it's becoming increasingly dictatorial. So the Brexit yes. were maybe right all along. Anyway, what's going well, on there? Orban, has, Orban appears to have caved in. He was refusing uh, to agree to the 50 billion 
dollars euros funding for ukraine the next package right. but just this morning a deal has been reached michelle said all 27 leaders agreed this locks right. in steadfast long-term predictable funding for ukraine the agreement comes after the bloc's most influential politicians sat down with orban just this morning orban had previously vetoed an agreement during the summit in december but how much of this is military aid uh, how much of this is just prolonging this unwinnable war ukraine has run mm. out of soldiers what what what's the I end know. game here pally what's the what is this no, I, I, I mean i agree i think it's i mean uh, orban is the only sane politician at a national level in europe apart from his slovakian counterpart now fico who's saying mm. you know you need it needs to be a political deal with uh, with russia with russia's consent and with ukraine and this is just as you said going to prolong the agony and let, lead to many more uh, Ukrainian deaths, I fear. But I think that they're locked into, and, and politicians are locked into no reverse gear because they're so emotionally invested in this war. And um, But on the other hand, we don't know what's, uh, what, if there are any, um, what's in the small print and if Orban has managed to extract some concessions, we can, we can only hope. But it does, we'll see how these things develop uh, yeah. in, in the days to come. But uh, well, thanks for that news summary. Uh, we're going to go into our first guest now. This is TNT Radio. Now, as we move into an election year in US politics at a time when the Western empire is under attack from within, as if an orchestrated decline is the plan, whilst at the same time, the rise of BRICS nations represents a rise of a new multipolar order institutions that have controlled the world are at last being questioned for their behavior and their failures absolute power corrupts absolutely and the truth shall set us free those two statements sit at opposite ends of the zeitgeist in a world that is filled with death destruction deceit and a wholesale unwillingness to hold anyone in power to account except for anyone who takes power against the ruling elite of course and then we have seen how that system works. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans, that's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Discussing national and international issues. You're listening to Pella Neuroth Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Right. Hi, Troy. This is Troy Miller, who's president of the National Association of Religious Broadcasters. Uh, did I get that right? Um, yep. We're going to talk, I just show, we're in a, a Europe-based show um, based in uh, in Europe, uh, but we I'm actually quite pro-Trump and uh, trying to spread that message. Um, and um, I think, so you, assuming that you're talking to a European public, because we're going out at lunchtime, European time, um, it's interesting. Trump, how much support did um, Trump get from uh, religious voters in the 2020 and 2016 elections and 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 do you feel that he delivered on any promises he made while he was president sure thanks for having me today yeah president trump enjoyed about an 80 percent of the evangelical vote in 2016 and i believe that he showed he had about 76 77 percent of that vote in 2020. you know even coming out of the iowa 
uh, caucuses, Trump had anywhere from 51 to 57 percent of the evangelical vote, with the rest being kind of distributed over the the uh, crowd. And now with DeSantis out of, the, out of the race, he'll get an even larger portion of that evangelical vote. And I think evangelicals really do feel that President Trump delivered on his promises to Christians uh, across this country and really around the world, because uh, President Trump's administration did a lot for Christian persecution around the globe, as well as some of the things he did here in the United States. Of course, the key one is he delivered on Supreme Court and federal judges that live up to the Constitution and really hold the freedoms, uh, especially for Christians of the First Amendment, to the highest regard. So I, I think Trump has a probably an A-plus scorecard on delivering for his promises. Right. And I, is there a sense of oversight about some of his personal failings or his love life or whatever? Do they care about that? Well, look, I think Christians care about character and they care about integrity. But Christians are also, for the most part, very forgiving. So if you look at President Trump um, and look at his past life, yeah, he has some some skeletons in his closet. And he has some issues. But weigh that against how he's performed as the president. There were no scandals under his uh, administration, how he's performed as a husband and a father over the last several decades. And I, and I think you look at President Trump and say, hey, he's probably a different man today, as a lot of us are, uh, wouldn't want to be judged or what we did in our younger years. Um, and I think that's the way a lot of people look at President Trump, a lot of Christians do. Now, there's some who still hold him accountable for those. But, you know, the sad part is they don't have the same uh, equal scales when they look at the other candidates or the other parties. Right. We've got here, I've got a, a note here saying that um, they're Christ talking about Christian persecution in the United States. Is that is that true? I mean, it sounds incredible. I mean, I haven't read about it, but I, I can believe it happens given that. Well, tell us a little bit about what, what kind of persecution is going on that evangelicals feel strongly about. Yeah, I think there's uh, several things that are going on, and, and and I think it's starting to rise to the level of persecution. But I think right now Christians certainly feel like they're being marginalized. Christians by far are canceled off of uh, social media platforms and, and other uh, digital platforms. We deal with a lot of Christian organization and ministries today that have had their credit card processing canceled. Their banks have canceled uh, doing business and services with them. And just a number of companies, our, our own organization had a harder time this year than ever trying to find insurance for the organization. So I think Christians feel a lot of that heat, as well as you, you look at some of the persecution. I'm here in Nashville, Tennessee, and recently, uh, just, just yesterday, there was a court decision that came down and charged six pro-life protesters who were simply praying uh, outside of a pro-life clinic. Now, they had trespassed and gone into the building, but they were simply praying. There was no violence. They didn't harm anybody. They didn't touch anybody. They were charged under this uh, FACE Act, um, and they are looking at 11 years in prison, $350,000 in fines. This act has been used over 100 times against pro-lifers and only four times against the um, pro-choice uh, community. So I think Christians look at that, look what's going on in the direction this country's going. And yeah, they they feel persecuted. That, I mean, that sounds absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I follow US news as well as anyone, but I hadn't read about that. So that, could you just spell out the name of that act again? Because I didn't catch it. Uh, what's the name of the, the persecuting act? It's called the FACE Act. Uh, it was put together. Yeah, F-A-C-E. It was put together 
to um, uh, stop violent crime against both pro-life uh, organizations. So anybody that committed a violent crime against a pro-life clinic or a pro-abortion clinic, uh, but yet it's been used over a hundred times uh, to protect pro-abortion and only four times to help protect pro-life and multiple pro-life clinics across this country have been vandalized and, uh, and attacked and yet the government hasn't sought any persecutions in the in those areas and yet what you're saying is that th this is now being used against people who are quite peaceful in their protests so it's actually an abuse of the of the legislation as it seems Oh, absolutely. The Justice Department uh, has really used this legislation to go after pro-lifers. And you can go out, there's videos of, of the protests they had. They're simply in the halls uh, praying. They didn't lay their hands on anybody. They didn't touch anybody. There was no gun violence, no mm. violence whatsoever. That's incredible. Okay, we'll carry on talking about this after the break. This is TNT Radio. <laughs> TNT Radio News. Get the news. <laughs> the news. Matt Boyland here with your TNT headlines. President Joe Biden will visit the scene of last year's toxic train derailment in Ohio for the first time next month. With the presidential election now just months away, the White House says it feels now is the right time. Russia says a US Patriot missile was used to shoot down a military plane over the country last week, killing dozens of Ukrainian POWs. And the White House says it has identified the group responsible for last week's deadly drone strike on its forces in the Middle East. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. Uh, hi, Troy Miller, who is telling us about um, something I'd never heard of before, even though I sort of read, I'm afraid I read some mainstream media as well persecution of Christians in the United States and some of them fa facing long January 6th style jail sentences. Now you um, are in charge of the organization that coordinates religious broadcasting in the United States. Do American religious TV channels cover this and are they persecuted for covering it? Yeah, uh, a lot of uh, Christian media cover these kinds of issues. There's a number of of mainstream kind of media Christian sources out there, and, and they do uh, cover it. I wish more uh, would and more pastors would talk about it, but they do. Um, there's a number of our uh, talent and people that are in this area, conservative Christian talk radio, um, who've had their YouTube channels canceled, who've had their channels, uh, Twitter accounts suspended, uh, been kicked off of Facebook. So, so they cover it, but social media platforms and the digital platforms are certainly not very friendly to them. Wow. Even even Elon Musk's new Twitter, which is supposed to be totally freedom of speech, um, although he's probably an atheist. But maybe, <laughs> right. So, yeah, I'm, that's, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure. But yeah, Twitter, Twitter, has, even recently, Twitter has uh, their algorithms have blocked several uh, of these kinds of conversations. And conversely, so Trump was quite support, supportive. Something about the Biden administration, has it canceled uh, faith holidays in the United States? 
Well, it, it's, it, I don't know about cancel them, but it certainly has turned them on their heads. So recently the Biden administration uh, put out a note that Easter, okay, and Easter is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So for evangelical Christians, for Catholics around the world, for Orthodox Christians, this is one of our uh, high, most holy holidays that we celebrate. And the Biden administration has said, well, we'll celebrate uh, bunny rabbits and we'll celebrate eggs and and uh, and those things, but we won't talk about religion at the White House Easter event this year. Wow. Well, I mean, that sounds a bit sad. And, and what about other religions? I mean, is it is is it atheism that's being promoted, or, or maybe you don't want to pronounce on this, but Islam, for instance, or, or whatever other religions there are? Do you feel well, that I, they are pushing? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that they're pushing. Certainly, they're pushing secularism, which is you know at root of it is atheism. So atheism and the atheist beliefs and ideologies are coming through. Um, I, you know, Islam, I think, holds a different kind of, of um, level within the government. They don't go after Islam. You don't see uh, the government weaponizing against uh, Islam as they've done in Christianity. You know, recently, there was just the revelation of the case here where the, the federal government, where the Justice Department, uh, in cooperation with banks and credit card companies, with, without any active criminal cases going on, without any court subpoenas, were able to get these companies to go through and mine the data, the transactions of Americans and look for keywords like Bible, Christianity, uh, Christian bookstores, churches. So if you had these key Christian terms, these keywords in any of your purchases, you suddenly became on a government watch list. And, and what is that all about? What, what wow. is a, a person living out their First Amendment right of the freedom of religion? And as far mm -hmm. as we know, they didn't search uh, Islam, they didn't search Muhammad, they didn't search any right. of these key terms for other religions. They searched Christianity and all these people are on a list now. What kind of list and what's that list for? Do, I mean, we've got to, we can either pursue this, we can have you on the show again and talk to other people, talk to practical examples. I'm always looking for practical down to earth evidence. Um, do you, is there a channel uh, you people can follow you on YouTube or on the web? Because I'm sure many people will be listening to this and say, hey, I, I, God, this is, I mean, most Europeans do believe in a God. And that there's, I think we're much more post Christian than you are. Uh, but uh, a lot of people, a lot of people still do believe in freedom of speech and would be sh really shocked about this because we associate America for all its faults as the land of intellectual freedom. I said it in my intro. Um, presumably, can people watch uh, you, you and your channel somewhere or are they only available in the States on cable? Yeah, there's a number on, on there. You can go to nrb.org and that will talk about all of the public policy and the policy issues that NRB tracks that is involved in. You'll also see... Uh, all of the, the video we do and the media hits that we do and talking about this. And it has links to our members who cover this on a daily basis. Right. I mean, but just, it's funny because leaders, uh, governments are wary of challenging um, the majority in a democracy. And there's still so many evangelicals and you are still, I mean, you're the most powerful, one of the most powerful uh, bodies of collectivities in the United States. So it sounds extraordinary that they're doing this. But you're saying Trump, has has Trump been in contact with you guys and, and sort of um, promised to reverse some of these developments? 
Well, he hasn't been in contact with us directly. As a 501c3 organization, we, we can't directly endorse uh, candidates or work with uh, candidates in the, in the process. But, you know, if you look at Trump and his platform and the people he surrounded himself with, Trump has been very friendly, uh, again, to Christians, to evangelicals. And he lived up in his first presidency, I think 100%, he lived up to his promises to the evangelical community. And he also put in place, as I said before, a number of, of steps and commissions that looked at persecution around the globe. And for that, we're very thankful for his leadership. Well, can you give us some examples? Because we're a global channel and we're always interested in these things. Yeah, one of the commissions in the State Department that he put put together was a commission uh, led by former Senator Brownback, was a member of that commission, which was to look at religious persecution around the world and to raise those issues up in the State Department level so the State Department could address them uh, with the home countries and the home governments again. And, and they did the same thing at the UN and Trump's Office of Faith-Based Initiatives uh, helped Christian organizations around this country get more involved in providing social services and other services to communities. So those two areas in particular were very effective for the president. Well, I'll tell you a little anecdote. I mean, there are a lot of, I'm in Sweden at the moment, and um, a lot of Syrian refugees came to Europe um, in 2015 and 16. And uh, I know some of them. And uh, uh, you, you talk to, you listen to Swedish mainstream journalists, and I think they echo the sort of stuff that comes out of UK and US media, which was that, you know, Assad is a horrible dictator and he kills his own people and he must be opposed and um, the freedom fighters that was backed by the West and Israel, they were going in there and trying to remove Assad. But when you, I talked to uh, Syrian Christians, because I, I can't remember what percentage of them are still Christian, but and the Alawites were kind of weakly Muslim. They were saying, no, we like Assad because Assad is the only protection we have from the radical Muslims. The West is supporting the bad guys. You, you, you get it completely wrong. Your mainstream media are lying to you. These are terrorists. These are ISIS. And these are the Syrian freedom fighting army was full of people who want to impose radical Islam on us. So we like Assad very much, you know. So that was during the, the Obama administration. But I mean, uh, uh, Trump, I think, was kind of forced to, to cruise missile uh, Assad, but nothing happened. And Assad is still in power and apparently protects his um, Christian minorities there. So, you know, if, um, if Trump carries on with that balanced approach to the Middle East, I, I'm glad because uh, the Middle East has lost most of its Christians. Um, do you, but, but perhaps you don't want to talk. Let's talk a little bit more about the, the cultural developments in America, because I, I mean, about uh, 15 or 20 years ago, there was a slew of books talking about the American exception and a global scale. Europe was secularized and Europe was uh, America was quite religious. You know, you this some um, country that was intensely advanced prosperous in technological or whatever and created the best science in the world and at the same time you were quite religious and you had these intense debates about um creationism and so on but from your perspective you pre presuming you want to advance christianity and that's fine how can that be advanced on a cultural level i mean do you have christian films and, and christian whatever i mean on a on the soft power level how do you advance christianity in the united states 
Yeah, I mean, Christianity has a, it is involved. Christians are involved in almost every sector of the country here, and and in the media and entertainment world. Christian films in the last few years have done exceptionally well uh, in the box office. The the recent film um, uh, on the human trafficking uh, uh, freedom uh, it did it did incredibly well in the in the U.S. I think Christians are very concerned about the cultural. And we're hearing from a lot of Christians that, that produce radio programming, television programming, films, Christian books, uh, that the younger generation in particular, the Gen Zers and the and the Gen Y folks are are really kind of as they as they age up, as they get older, they're finding that the culture has really fed them a lot of lies. And so they're looking for the truth. Churches are are doing well in, in America. Uh, they're growing now. COVID really kind of put a damper on things, and um, we're seeing the community coming back after COVID here. But pastors in, enjoy that. C- radio in the U.S. is almost completely uh, um, uh, dominated by Christian programming. Over, over, I think the number is over sixty percent of the programming that goes on across the country here on radio is Christian and conservative programming. And so radio is a huge source for people to reach out and and in the communities and help. And Christians do a lot of local community support. You know, you look around the world in the U.S., uh, Operation Blessing, Operation Rescue, Samaritan's Purse, these Christian organizations are the first on site in national disasters uh, or in nat- nat- nature's disasters that go on. And so I think that really enjoys. And, and I think that's why the left really looks at Christianity as their top target, because if you want to move to a secular leftist Marxist world, then you're going to have to silence the Christian voice uh, in America, because America still sends out missionaries all over the world. And so that's why we Mm. think Christians are under attack. Well, uh, I mean, Americans are much more generous than Europeans, and I think you you have a different, more Christian spirit, maybe in many regards, and uh, certainly we, something we can learn of. Uh, I think there is a backlash against secularity in Europe, in Europe, and the strong state and the welfare state that t- kills people's initiatives and so on. But I mean, I think that's for another time. And I'd love to talk to you more about these things. So, but uh, thank you very much, uh, Troy Miller. This is TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. You know, there's no escaping from the liberal propaganda. If you sat down to escape into NBC's show Chicago Med last Wednesday, this is the crap you had shoved down your throat. Wait, why are you moving my wife? Sir, please, it's just temporary. Hey, Mr. Martin. Okay, what's going on? Did you two authorize this? Mr. Martin, my apologies. It appears we're momentarily You think I don't see what's going on, but you're giving all the rooms to them. Hold on now. Same thing happened at my kids' school. They commandeered her gym for a shelter. Look, wait, I assure you we have enough resources to take care of everyone. No, we don't. People keep saying that, but we just don't, okay? The whole volleyball season got canceled, and my daughter needed that for a scholarship, and now my wife. She's obviously not receiving your full attention. How come nobody's looking out for us? A legitimate question. They're kicking his wife out to make room for an illegal alien. I understand that this is an inconvenience, but we do need to free up this room, okay? Go no, ahead. Get away from her! Wait, please. Stop handling me! Calm down! No! No! Get away from me! Get off of me! Get off of me! Get off of me! And the racist white man gets taken away by the police. Exactly what he deserves. <laughs> 
Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. Internet crimes against children in New Mexico are real. And when it comes to protecting your children, the New Mexico AG's office and the ICAC unit are on the front lines. I'm New Mexico Attorney General Hector Balderas. There's nowhere to hide for online predators in New Mexico. We are working tirelessly using state-of-the-art technology and resources to seek out and find them wherever they are. Please talk to your children about the dangers that exist online, social media, games, and messenger apps. It's always important to know who you're talking to. Help fight online predators in New Mexico by submitting a tip today. Exposing the deep state and government overreach. You're with Pella Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Hi, uh, we uh, rapid uh, shift here from uh, religion to its uh, polar opposite technology. We've got the extremely knowledgeable and experienced technology consultant, Jeffrey Funk, who's a guest recently, and he's our perfect guide to all the things that are happening in the world of technology, or not, as the case may be. Um, AI is... Uh, is uh, law has lots of um, has been praised worldwide in the, in the media as being a solution to our problems, but uh, Jeffrey, you're going to tell us that it's not all that rosy necessarily. What is this hype about uh, uh, generative AI? Is it going to work out as everyone thinks it will, or is it a bit uh, exaggerated? Well, generative AI is very good at giving you the most common answer to something. So, you want to know the population of Australia? You'll get it. You want to know the, the area of a country. You want to know these kinds of facts it's very good at. But if you want to know something more complicated, then it gets controversial because then, well, it's, the problem is it leaves out the controversy. It doesn't say on one hand, there's this and there's this. It kind of gives you the most common answer. So it doesn't really give you, you know, a, uh, a novel answer, something, some kind of innovation. It doesn't give you that. It just gives you kind of, uh the 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 best answer for some kind of very simple question yeah um and you don't think it's going to uh, develop i mean we're very very early days yet but um you you're a bit pessimistic well the people say it's the the early days because they've only recently heard about it but you see ai is 70 years old, you know, 60 years old, uh, generate, then you've got neural networks, which is the alternative to expert systems. So expert systems were these, uh, uh, like tree like things, or if this, then this is all this logic that was built in. And that's what was used when I was a graduate student at Carnegie Mellon in the early 1980s. Uh, and they worked for some applications, but not so well for, for most. And then neural networks became the, 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 the way to do things because you had uh, and, and the increasing computing power. So everyone's heard of Moore's Law. So Moore's Law made a whole thing, many things possible, really cheap computers, very good mobile phones. But it also made these neural networks where uh, you just have a lot of data and you analyze it. And you train a system on it so that the, the system will, will, will kind of do the best, the best answer give you the best answer, whatever it is, statistically speaking. Um, and so generative AI really came about in the last five to 10 years. And so in, in that sense, it's new, but it's really coming from 
the improvements, it, it, the, 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 its emergence came from the improvements from Moore's Law, from the improvements in all these computers and things. And the problem now is, is that we've kind of reached uh, the best computing we can. Moore's Law has slowed down. It's harder to, to make these computers faster and better. And so that's, that's where a lot of my pessimism comes. If it was 1970 and we were doing this, I'd say, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to have some great things happening. Or not even 1980 or 1990, but 2024, right? Computers are going to get a little better, but not a whole lot better. Hmm. It's interesting. The discussion I saw that you were involved in uh, this morning involved something about, was it about call centers or something that said that uh, it can, uh, chat GPT and all its rivals, whatever, can help the most mediocre employees, but it won't help the top employees. You might actually feel a bit hampered if they have to submit to protocols that uh, yeah, AI. Yeah, if, if you're not very good at remembering down. all the things, if you're, if, if you're not good at remembering all the things you're supposed to remember, uh, then ChatGPT can help you. It can show up on the screen and you get the information and you you re you repeat the answer um, like you're supposed to. But if you're a really good employee, maybe it won't help you that much because you don't need the help. Right. And you'll be disincentivized maybe because of this, these your salaries that the bad employees will have a reward and talent won't be rewarded in the same way as before. A absolutely. And it's important to remember that... Uh, you know, how you answer, how productive you are on these call centers is just one aspect of your job. Maybe there's other things where uh, something, how fast you can get up to speed on some new kind of area, or there may be something else. So then you want the good employees to, who, who can do those things to be incentivized. But now they're discouraged because they've been ranked lower than all these mm -hmm. people who are really good, uh, who, who have been helped by ChatGPT. Right. Okay. So it sounds like a sort of incredible mediocritization of our discussion space. I mean, basically, people who can't work things out for themselves use ChatGPT, and that gives a good enough answer, and they'll sort of yeah. outperform on metrics of how many customers they can deal with in half an hour or something. And the clever guys feel, well, you know, why, why am I even bothering? Because these guys are not doing real work, but they're getting more money than I am. Let's fine. I think it's this problem that people were talking about, wasn't it, that the uh, uh, arrival of the robots will make us all incredibly bored. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, um, a lot of people, some people have said it's uh, uh, very mediocre bureaucrats are going to love it because they're going to be able to send, respond to mail faster, write these reports faster, do all these things faster. But they won't really have anything to say that's novel or interesting or useful in their mail. They won't have anything novel or interesting to say in their uh, reports. And the knowledge workers, the ones that we really expect uh, to do these great things, they're not going to be helped that much because they're already uh, because because ChatGPT isn't good enough to help them really be be innovative. Mm. And what you're saying also is this Moore's law being uh, reaching its limits. Are we going to see any development in the? In, I mean, a, a lesser version of Moore's law. I mean, I, I knew that it slowed down, but I didn't know it virtually stopped. T tell us about what the latest is there. Well, it, it, it's still improving, but but the rate at which it's improving is slowing down. And it's important to remember what we mean by improvements. So a lot of people get really excited. They just talk about how. How, how much is going on in generating AI and oh, it's just happened. And most of it is new products coming out, new ways they're using generative AI. 
What you don't see is a reduction in the hallucinations, a reduction in the correct and the incorrect answers. That's what we really want to see. We want we we, mm. we if if it's really going to be useful, we want to go from one percent incorrect answers to point one percent incorrect answers to point oh one percent, and so on. That's what we want to mm. see, because that's what that that's the the way that high reliable systems work. They have to work. Lots of nines, 99.9999%. Mm-hmm. Can you just explain, you just said hallucinations. What do you mean by that in, in the context of what we're talking about? Well, it comes out with an answer that's uh, clearly not correct. So there was a case mm. of a, a lawyer submitting a brief and the judge said, you know, these these precedents don't exist. You know, and the chat uh, GPT has produced them and they produce them uh sources for them some references mm. but they didn't mm. exist and it's not right. clear where they came from they just kind of came from midair so they call them hallucinations because they seemingly came from midair wow okay i mean i know i've been doing uh, uh using ai for uh, visuals for a documentary i was working on and, and i think well some this is fantastic because i don't have to hire an expensive graphic designer sorry yeah you know but yeah. on the other hand they they it frequently puts eyes in the wrong place, you know, so you have these really weird guys. I was trying to get swordsmen yeah. and, and fighting in a medieval battle, but they looked yeah. like lunatics. I mean, it was completely wrong. So very, very yeah. low hit rate there. Yeah. And I guess yeah. everyone could supply their own examples. And I guess yeah. also there's this problem among uh, TNT's viewers. There's a considerable skepticism towards Wikipedia, especially when you're talking about current affairs topics or about, you know, woke cancelled culture type issues so it's a bit uh, nanny-ish you know uh, you won't get it to tell smutty jokes or or you know it's 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 a bit sort of uh narrow in that respect and and uh doesn't really want to comment on current events so we we, i talked to the previous guest he worried about the censorship that christians were suffering uh in the united states which is astonishing to me so there will be a it's a quick people who with power will seek to control that information won't they and is there a yes, debate about will. that in the technology community or is it just among well, us? Well, there, there's a, a lot of debate about disinformation and people are concerned about AI and generative AI in particular contributing to disinformation. But then, of yeah, course, right. there's a lot of people who to them, disinformation is uh, somebody saying that vaccines don't work. Uh, something controversial, right? There are things that are controversial and then there are things that are just plain wrong, like a picture of somebody doing something that they never did, right? Mm -hmm. That's the kind of disinformation that really scares us. But uh, there also is the possibility that uh, this emphasis on disinformation will cause, you know, any controversy to be eliminated. Right. I mean, I haven't tested any things. I mean, I know that if you go into, let's say it's a relatively uncontroversial controversy, but I did research, did a lot of research on the Kennedy assassination. It's pretty clear that it was it was a kill team, two people involved. And I know that Wikipedia are not very reliable on this. They call it conspiracy theory, whereas Congress in 1978 said it was a conspiracy, conspiracy in the sense of it was two kill teams or more. So I don't know what ChatGPT does about that, but as you said, it's going to be, a banalization i mean because controversy is where you get that's the source of future truth i mean you've got to be able to air these things uh, and then you let the truth break against somebody else's version of the truth and then you 
that's the essence of scientific debate i always learned but chat gpt is going to be like some nanny that uh, tries to avoid any kind of uh, debate whatsoever but they must know these things as well i mean to, to the technologists that you're in contact with the oligarchs and things they must say how can we doesn't uh, trump um wasn't it elon musk tried to introduce grok which is supposed to be a bit more open-minded have you following that debate yeah yeah so so yeah the, this debate is is going on you know outside of generative AI. generative ai has just intensified the debate but even before generative AI, there was debate about how much how many things should be allowed on twitter you know how many things should be censored and so elon musk said well i'm going to make it more uh more open and a lot more things to be said but of course he still has to draw the line someplace it's just that he's going to draw it at a different place than the twitter people drew it and that's the challenge yeah. is drawing the line and being consistent that's a hard thing to do so uh, jeffrey now that i've got you on what other really interesting issues are there apart from ai that are worth uh, giving a heads up to and we could perhaps bring you on uh, next time to talk about it well i think that uh there has been a lot of technologies uh invested in over the last 10 years that have not worked out you know virtual reality augmented reality delivery drones blockchain uh crypto uh electric vertical and takeoff and landies evtols there's a long list of these uh, that have, have failed, right? And so that's part of my reason for my pessimism of AI is that we've been, the last 10 years, we've been down a lot of different roads where people started off very optimistic and then we just ended up with a big bubble. It popped and a lot of people lost money. And venture capitalists have lost so much money that uh, now they don't want to spend any more money and investors don't want to give them any more money. So it, it's quite likely that we're going to see a big downturn in venture capital spending. It's, it's been going down over the last two years, and it's likely it will continue. So this is this is a problem when uh, a lot of things have been hyped, and then there are failures, and then investors, they don't want to put money in these things anymore. They stop believing in these venture capitalists as, as, as making good decisions. Well, I mean, I'm so glad you. I'm glad it's a depressing news, but I'm glad because what you say has a ring of authenticity because we're surrounded by so much hype, advertising, propaganda, boosterism, and what yeah. you're introducing is a note of realism. And I think we need realism in our world to to be help make things better ultimately. Well, Jeffrey, yeah. I'd like to thank you very much for this update and, and talk, and uh, we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Okay. This is TNT Radio.